All right, welcome back to our second episode of Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I am joined as always by Barrett Fisher. Um, we are going to be talking about our the recommendation that Barrett had for us uh, for this week. Um, and then at the end of the show, we'll uh, get a new recommendation from Barrett. So let's walk into the video store. Barrett, how are you doing? I'm well today. Thanks, Sam. Uh, did you have a chance to, uh, to re-watch the film Groundhog Day this week? I did, which, of course, created an eerie sense of uh, deja vu. I thought, I think I've seen this film before. That's um, right. Yes, but in fact, I, I did. I did rewatch it, um, so I'm, it's fresh in my mind. Yeah, I have to say, I'm, um, I am uh, a very much a morning person. I'm terrible in the evening, so I've decided now that my schedule is all thrown off by everything. Anyhow, that as we watch the your film recommendations, I'm going to try to do this like the ancient Greeks. I know Kevin Craig, uh, one of my favorite professors, used to always talk about how the Greeks would go to the theater in the morning. You know, because yeah. your your mind is sharp. So I actually got up in on Wednesday morning. I won't say the time because it's ridiculously early and watched Groundhog Day, and it was great. It was great to watch it in the morning. That's what that's when I should be watching films. Clearly, well, that's why you and I are collaborating, Sam, because I am also a morning person. Uh, anytime after uh, seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night, and I'm pretty much done. That's right. <laughs> so um, maybe we could start. Can you tell us why this was your recommendation? What was what, what drew you to this as a pick? Yeah, I guess uh, there, there's there's a number of reasons. I guess the the first one is uh, it seems like as though it seems it's almost a cliche to have picked this this movie because very very soon after it was released, it became a kind of the notion of the Groundhog Day, the notion of the same thing every day became actually kind of entered entered the lexicon. Uh, if you look at the Wikipedia article about Groundhog Day, you can see all kinds of ways in which it immediately became referred to by people in the military, people in politics. So as I thought about our lives under coronavirus, it seemed to me that we all may feel a little bit like like Bill Murray does in the film, that we're just kind of getting up and repeating the same day uh, over and over. So it was one reason why I thought about it. I thought it was one way to address our current circumstances without doing something like telling everybody to watch Contagion, um, which they should. It's a good film. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I, but I, I also wanted a film that that both has... I think some serious themes to discuss, but is also pleasurable to watch because, and even amusing to watch because the other thing I'm, I'm, I think about this, this, this with the circumstances we're in right now is that um, film should offer us a certain level of escapism, um, a certain level of entertainment, but at the same time, give us something to think about. So for me, Groundhog Day is one of those films that does that. So those are probably the two main reasons that I wanted to, to watch it. So I presume you saw this film somewhere around 93 when it came out. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a very good question. I'm trying to remember if I did. And I think I probably must have. Um, okay. Yeah. Because one of the interesting things as I was reading about the film this week, uh, this is a movie that hits people late. Uh, there's a lot of initial reviews that are like, yeah, this is this was funny. This was fun. And like in the meaning, um, deeper meaning seems to take longer. Reading Roger Ebert's um uh, he revised review in the early 2000s. He talked about how he initially, it's not that he didn't get the movie, but he missed the point. And so when he was writing about it later, it became a four star movie for him. And he was like, no, this is actually, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of depth here. Uh, is this a film that hit you right away? Is this a film that I will say, cause I, in 1993, I was a, did a, probably a sophomore in, in high school. Um, so I think I saw this as a, 
an ex extension of the Bill Murray <laughs> cinematic universe, you know, seeing uh, movies like Ghostbusters and Scrooged and stuff like that. I maybe didn't think about it as having um, big questions that I was wrestling with at that point. Well, I think at the risk of um, sounding as though I'm more insightful than Roger Ebert, which is certainly not the case, um, I, 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 do, I do think the film probably hit me um, at somewhat of a deeper level. And perhaps that's because, I don't know, uh, maybe because I went into it as a, uh, a budding film scholar, an English professor, so I was sort of attuned to the thematic level of the film. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, it, it kind of seemed obvious to me from the beginning that this was a film with a lot more on its mind than, than comedy. Um, one of the things that I found interesting, and I, and I was going to bring this up, and you you already sort of mentioned it, is how even the phrase Groundhog Day means something now, right? And and obviously the tradition of Groundhog Day goes back a, a long ways, but this film fundamentally has changed. When you hear that phrase, you I no longer think about is there going to be more winter or not. I think about this idea of a day repeating over and over. Can you think of any other examples of films that have taken something and sort of fundamentally changed its meaning in the culture? Wow, that's huh, that's a good question. And I huh. I'm not sure I'm not sure. I can I can certainly think of films that have had, you know, catchphrases that have um entered the lexicon at least for a while, like show show me the money, uh, right. for example. Um and uh, you can't handle the truth, you know, from uh, th those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, to a certain extent, there's certain phrases that have come out of a film like Dr. Strangelove in terms of, you know, mutually assured destruction. But I, I don't know if I can think of any other film that has, has kind of, has become kind of an icon for uh, an entire way of framing the way we think about existence. I think it's pretty, pretty unusual in that respect. Now, probably after we're done with this conversation, something will occur to me later today. Uh, but right now, sure. Right now, that's the best I've got. Um, I will say, when I rewatched this, the thing that jumped to mind that probably wouldn't have occurred to me in two thousand three, or excuse me, in, in nineteen ninety three, was um, this is uh, this is a movie that uses uh, video game logic, right? The idea that you can keep doing something over, and like you learn, and then you can sort of get past this part which was in your way, and get you know, sort of like. Um, Edge of Tomorrow is another movie that does this, but this is way before that. So that was that was the the first thought as I was knew where this was headed and watched him step in that puddle the first three times, and then realized, okay, well he can overcome that, and you know, and, and those types of things. So um, that was that was I think the first thing I thought of when I was watching this for a second time. Yeah, and the and the original title that the original title of Edge of Tomorrow alludes to that, right? Yeah. It, I can't remember what the first verb is, but it's something it's like, die repeat. I think it's kill die repeat. Kill die repeat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the questions you see you in 2004. Um, can you talk about what this seminary event was that you were part of? Yeah, to the extent that I can remember that, um, it was it was a seminary event where they wanted to talk about the the concept of transformational learning. You know what. What, what you need to do in an educational context in order to ensure that people learn in a way that is truly deeply transformational. So they asked me, I don't know how they came up with my name, but they asked me to select a film and show the film and then lead a conversation with the seminarians about that film. So that's, I pitched Groundhog Day because to me, that's one of the things that, one of those obvious things the film is about, which is how do you, 
learn in a way that deeply tr uh, transforms or changes you. So as you, um, I, I bring that up in part way, sort of for full disclosure, that I, you had you sent me a bunch of questions that you talked about at that event, or you asked the the, the folks at that event. So I want to steal some of those because they're really good questions. And any good teacher knows if somebody asks a good question, you should just steal that and reuse it. Um, so I want to give you credit for that. Uh, the first question that you ask on there has to do with um, sort of why Groundhog Day? Like, like why is this, of, of any day that this could be set, why is this set on Groundhog Day? What is the meaning of that as a particular day? Well, you know, one thing that I discovered in doing, in doing research is that is that Groundhog Day actually um, has a liturgical origin. Um, February 2nd is actually the Feast of the Purification of the, the Virgin Mary. Which oh, interesting. Is, yeah, which commemorates the presentation of Jesus in the temple 40 days after his birth. And it's, this is when Simeon declares uh, Jesus as the light of the revelation of Gentiles. And traditionally, there's uh, candles that are blessed on that, on that feast. And there's a prayer. It says, uh, just as oh, sure. yeah. fire dispels the shadows of the night, so may invisible fire that is the brightness of the Holy Spirit free us from the blindness of every vice. So according to what I read about this, then this prophecy leads to a folk belief that the weather on uh, February 2nd actually had a prognostic value. And that supposedly is the origin of the notion of Groundhog Day. Um, and originally in, in Europe, uh, in Germany, uh, they added a badger. But huh. when the Germans emigrated to Pennsylvania, the best they could do was a woodchuck or a groundhog. Uh, but it turns out the Native Americans also considered the groundhog a wise animal. So thus the seer of seers, the sage of sages, the prognosticator of prognosticators. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so, evidently, so evidently we have both this kind of folk tradition as well as a liturgical significance to to Groundhog Day. I think as I was reading, I, um, I, and I was thinking about that question, I also was, I think Groundhog Day, isn't it the the midway point between the solstice and the equinox? The, the winter solstice and the, the um, spring equinox? Yeah, that's, that's, that, that sounds about right. Um, yeah, so, so, I was think, I was, so I was thinking about another way to think about this is, I mean, if this is this, there's obvious themes about sort of rebirth in, you know, through this, right? He's reborn again each day. Um, and, and then, you know, with spring, we get rebirth. And, and then I also thinking about Bill Murray's character, Phil is, you know, amidst a, he might not see it yet, but he's amidst a midlife crisis, right? I mean, he's thinking about, I'm not going to be at this station much longer, but we don't know if that's true. So it's sort of this midway point. And then you think about the days getting longer, right? This is the point when the days start to get longer. So there's this like move towards a kind of enlightenment and also towards moderation. I mean, it's important that it's not the um, summer solstice, but it's the equinox, right? It's trying mm, to find yeah, a balance. Exactly. Yeah, not trying to find the other one extreme to the other. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was, the, I mean, th these are things that I hadn't thought about until I, I read that question of yours. And I thought, oh, I wonder, I wonder like, like, is there, what, what might be the, 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 the meaning of that day? And then there's also the fact that Phil is a, a weatherman himself and right. And what is the, what is the, the groundhog, but also a weatherman. And there's definitely interplay there, like almost a competition, you know, in terms of um, uh, whose predictions are better and does it even matter? Right, but and 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 not and not to push the analogy too far, but of course you know the groundhog, uh, the 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 annual festival is a kind of a resurrection, right? The groundhog emerges, absolutely, you know, emerges from his his tomb. At the same time, there's the guy in the diner telling Phil to watch out for his shadow, 
Um, and the uh, the guy who says that is Gus, uh, which and this this may be stretching a point a, a bit, but uh, that could be short for Augustine. Um, and Augustine, of course, is the one who tells us to watch out for our shadow, watch out for our vices and the various things that pull us away from God. Huh. So this is obviously, I mean, what I, what's interesting is when you start to read about Groundhog Day, um, there's this is a, a film that has so many, um, is so loved by vastly different religious traditions. Um, I mean, there's uh, religions who talk about reincarnation. I mean, this, this is obviously a, a reincarnation story if you want to see it that way. It's about getting to do the same thing over and over and coming back and do it again, do it again, and trying to reach some kind of enlightenment. Um, but then it's also, you know, within Christian circles there, I mean, this is a, a movie that becomes a touchstone. Um, like I said, I think the the, the reincarnation version, uh, reading of this is a very kind of surface level obvious reading. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk more about maybe Christian themes you might see in Groundhog Day? Yeah, and and before I do that, I, I just I, I want to point out that um, back in uh, well, it was really around 2004, the Museum of Modern Art did a film series on called the Hidden God Film and Faith, uh, and it actually opened with Groundhog Day, um, and they polled uh, 35 leading literary and religious scholars, and they all chose Groundhog, and they all wanted to write about Groundhog Day as uh, as as the as the film that they wanted to talk about most. So it has this, you know, um, resonance, as you just pointed out, with all with all kinds of traditions. Um, well, you know, I, I, in addition to the fact that, you know, Groundhog Day itself kind of originates in this uh, in this, this uh, Christian uh, lit liturgy. You know, I think one of the things that Phil has to come come to realize, if you think about the theme with him in, in Rita, where she says, uh, who he claims to be a, a god. Um, you know, part of what he has to understand is that um, it, there's a movement, in a sense, from this kind of postmodern sense of self-sufficiency uh, to recognizing his own uh, limit limitations uh, and re realizing um, his own place in the in the cosmos, which he really hasn't um, hasn't recognized before. One of, one of the scholars that I looked at pointed out that the uh, the name uh, Rita is short for Margar Margarita, which is the Latin word for pearl. Hmm. Uh, and so one way to read it is a Christian allegory, if you will, is that Rita is the, the pearl of great price. Um, and the fact that Phil sets his heart on her, even though in terms of the, the movie genre, it's it's framed as a romance that he wants the girl in the way that mo that a lot of characters want the girl but at an allegorical level a christian reading is she she actually represents something more than just um a woman she actually represents an entire orientation to um uh to the divine and to uh to to what is important outside of himself so the things that he ultimately ends up doing in order to in order to win her rather than manipulation as it was in the middle of the film where he takes this kind of machiavellian approach you know he's going to have the appearance of virtue in order to to win her which results at the end of every day uh with a slap in the face when he gives up on that and in, instead values her just for who she is and what she represents 
that scene when they're lying in bed and he talks about how she's the kindest person he's ever known. And even if he never wins her, you know, he's, he's happy to love her. Once he makes that turn to virtue for its own sake, then he begins to actually make, make progress. So winning her is not so much about a sexual conquest as it was initially, nor even fulfilling of his own selfish desires, but it's actually a recognizing of something which is intrinsically valuable uh, that motivates him to want to become a, a truly better person and not just a manipulative person. So if we were to speculate, uh, what does February 3rd look like for Phil? Or what does that next week look like or the next 10 years look like? That's a that's a good question. Uh, it, it it might look like settling down in Puxatawney or not. You know, the, the last line of the movie will rent will rent first. Right. Um, I mean, I th I think that hopefully Phil is is a truly um, transformed character, uh, and so it's going to be a very it's going to be a very different kind of life. And uh, it, I don't I don't know if I see him going back to the to the uh, to the TV station or not. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that I um, that I thought a lot about was how difficult it would be for Phil to live February third after having lived. Uh, I think um, Harold Ramis says there's at least forty iterations of the day in the movie. Although they speculate when they wrote it that it would be a thousand. Like the one plan was though at one point that it would be a thousand times living that day. He says there's probably about 40 that appear in the movie. If you live the same day for 40 days in a row, how could you then live it? Like how hard would it be to live a new day then? Knowing, well, now I, I'm so used to there not being consequences. Now that now I'm back to a day that will end where, where uh, history will continue. Yeah, that's true. But but part of what's happened as a result of all that repetition is he 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 is a different person now, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, one of the other things I think about when I watch this movie is I think about the um, the idea from a, a, another from an ancient Greek philosopher Heraclitus that character is destiny, and so one of the reasons why he suffers through the eternal return for all those however long it is. Some people say it's ten thousand years, which is fits with Buddhist philosophy. Anyway, however, however long that happens, it's because it's what, what's playing out in the repetition of Groundhog Day, in a sense, is the is the continual consequence of his character. Um, and once that character actually changes, I think that's why he's able to break the cycle. So or the cycle is broken. So now he has a new character. And in a way, we really don't know what it can look like, because this isn't the Phil Connors that we've known all along this is a new phil connors and there's going to be there's going to be a new rhythm to his life yeah i guess i have this anxiety about enlightenment really taking hold right that <laughs> that it's like okay but but what about the next thing so which actually makes the ending more powerful for me because you know that they they, they walk off and i'm so worried like i start being worried for them it's like okay now now it counts like now you can't make a mistake and ruin this i mean you can you will make mistakes ruin it because he's a human being um Oh, that's yeah. I, I, I find I find February third to be fascinating, or, or maybe, maybe February fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere in there. <laughs> you know, once the glow of enlightenment starts to become every, the everyday, you know, uh, how, how is he really well equipped enough for that? You know, well, that's, what, that's, I guess that's the anxiety of living, right? Right, and that, and that's that's why art is so much better than life <laughs> because you can just end the movie. We don't need to worry about that. Right. No, exactly. A uh, couple other questions. Uh, this one maybe is insignificant, but uh, why the why the Sonny and Cher song as the song 
Uh, it seems perfect, but tell me why does it seem perfect? Well, because it, oh, you know, because it's because it's Sonny and Cher, right? And they've got this uh, they've got this beautifully uh, romanticized idea of um, all we need is 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 each other. I've got you, babe, right? And uh, they say our love won't pay the rent, but uh, that's okay. So in a sense, they're kind of the idealized. Um, in image of the sufficiency of romantic love that Phil initially aspires to. I so so here's here's a question. As I was reading about this, um, uh, I was reading something about Harold Ramis talking about his first impressions upon reading the script, um, and he compared this when he first read the script, the first the first draft of the script, because Ramis helped rewrite it along with um, with Ruben. Um, he said this this reminded him of sort of a, a modern telling of Frank Capper's It's a Wonderful Life. Like that mm -hmm. was the film, that was the film he was thinking about when he was making this. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah, that makes a lot that makes a lot of sense. But he said that, that that it sort of fit better in the 1990s than maybe something like um It's a Wonderful Life would read. Um, the other the other movie that I thought a lot about as I was watching this was um, in a weird way was the movie Memento, because yeah yeah because it's like it's like the uh, inverse of Memento. In Memento, you have a character where time is moving forward, history is moving forward, but he's incapable of remembering. And this is the opposite: time in history isn't moving forward, but but Phil remembers everything, and he's the only one who remembers, as opposed to the the the, the inverse of that. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you made that connection, Sam. Because I'm actually thinking that maybe um, I, I didn't for next week, but maybe I should have picked Memento for the next film because that's that that would be an interesting contrast. Um, one of the questions that uh, I want to go back to the questions you asked at the the seminary uh, panel. Um, so I'm just going to read the question right here, and I don't want to sort of talk a little bit about this. Uh, it says, you said, if you had multiple opportunities to repeat all the important events of your life and fix mistakes, do you think you would be more successful and happier than you are? Would you be a better person? And I would add to that, would you want to, should you want to? Or do we learn, or, or is the fact that like, mistakes consequences that, that we can't erase those things um i mean when i read that question I, my, my initial response was as much as i would love to take back the pain caused by my mistakes pain to me or pain to other people like um if i had that opportunity would i want to do that you know i i, I remember asking i asked that question because that's that's something i thought about a lot um and to a certain degree, it, it connects with my earlier quotation of the notion of character as destiny and the idea that um, I've often thought sometimes, well, I, I think that if I could go back and do it again, I would do it differently. But being the kind of person that I was, um, I would probably end up making the same choice because, huh. you know, be, be, because it's it's, you know, you live life forward and understand it backwards. Right. And, and so. You, you think if you had another chance, you'd do it differently. But I actually hit on that idea. It's kind of the Nietzschean myth of the eternal return. And, you know, I, I kind of hit on that before I had encountered encountered Nietzsche, thinking that, you know, character is destiny or, or character is fate is another way to think about it. Now, having said that, that question actually reminds me of another movie that I we could connect with, Groundhog Day, which I hadn't thought of just now, which is Sliding Doors. Hmm. Have you seen Sliding Doors? 
I'm, so, you know, it's one of those things where I'm aware of it. I don't know that I've seen it. It's one. It's like the because that's another phrase that's used a lot, like a sliding doors moment. So I'm trying to think. Do am I just aware of the? I maybe have not seen the film. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a mid '90s film with Gwyneth Paltrow, and it's uh, it's it's set in London. So the sliding doors are the sliding doors of a of a of a, of a train on the tube, and so at the beginning of the film, she runs to catch the subway and she just misses it and the doors close and then the film starts again and this time she gets through the doors and then the film it does does parallel scenes following out what happens as a result of getting through the sliding doors and what happens as a result of not getting through the sliding doors and so i to me that's that film was a is a great example it's, it, maybe it's not so much about decision making it is about chance you know, but anyway, you know what what would have happened to my life if X had occurred or 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 hadn't occurred, right? Um, and that's where that's where we circle all the way back to "It's a Wonderful Life," right? Of like, right. what was what is the meaning of of specific small things? If I if I hadn't existed, would this be better or worse? Yeah, no, that's okay, interesting. But but Sam, that's a really good point because that how that actually identifies to me how to back to what you asked earlier. The difference between "It's a Wonderful Life" as a product of the 1940s and uh, Groundhog Day is a product of the 1990s. The key issue in "It's a Wonderful Life" is what impact would not, what impact would the absence of George Bailey's life have on the community? Mm -hmm. There's, uh, which to me is a very important question to ask in 1946, right after World War II. And you think about that as a way of saying what happens if so and so hadn't come back from war. Uh, sure. And, you know, as the U.S. is dealing with that. So, but then in 1993. The, the issue of Groundhog Day, in a sense, ironically, even though it's a story about, you know, Phil kind of overcoming himself, there's there's not a lot of community residence in his, in his success. Yes, you have various people testifying to how wonderful he is now, but all that is really about his salvation. That, mm -hmm. helps, him get, that helps him get Rita. Um, in fact, he discovers that one of his limitations is he can't save the dying old man. Uh, right. You know, no, no matter no matter what. So even though he does, in a sense, have a beneficent impact on the community, um, it's really not about that. It's really about how can he uh, how can he save himself. So in that sense, it's a much it, it's it's a much more Protestant film uh, in a way than It's a Wonderful Life, which you could say has more of a Catholic sensibility, since it's more concerned about the entire community. Sure, but but I would I would also say though part of the thing that he learns is to uh, is to pay attention to things outside of himself, you know. So so there is, I mean that that's part of the salvation because Reed is not the only person that he's learning about. I mean, there's the point where he's walking through the diner and he just goes to each person and tells Rita, "This is this person. This is that 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 there is this sense of like." Um, that 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 enlightenment comes with seeing outside of yourself where he is uh uh prototypically like like the self-centered 80s a lot of the things i'm reading sort of compare this to like the greed is good sort of movie mantra of the 80s and it's like he's like a character pulled from that to a certain degree i mean not necessarily about greed but in terms of like very self-centered and very dismissive of everyone else around him and he learns to he learns to at least uh be aware of the community around him even if he knows he can't save everyone 
Well, that's true. Although I think that um, in in the diner scene, that's that's when he's still in kind of his Machiavellian stage, and uh, the main interest he's taking in learning about all those people is in order to impress her. Um, I think you're right. I think he, I think he, I think he does overcome that. But the uh, but the film's final image is really of just of just him and Rita maybe settling down in Puxitani. I just I just don't think it has the same. Um, direct connection to what does this one person's life mean uh, for the rest of the world? You know, certainly, but, cer certainly, but but isn't it interesting that they would settle in Puxitani? Because <laughs> he's, I mean, he also has learned about everyone in that community. Right, that's, yeah, yeah. But I I don't know, I'm, I we may have to agree to screen this one, Sam, because I, I, I don't think that Puxitani is a fundamentally better place because of, of Phil. Um, I mean, I guess you could argue Buster doesn't choke to death on the, on the stake. Um, but I compare that with what happens to, um, to Pottersville or what, what becomes Pottersville without, uh, without George Bailey. And it's, it's a really a very different kind of vision. Right. No, I actually, I, I agree with you. I'm just trying to think about like, like what are, what sort of that they're, that like, because I think the ultimate question um, from this, and this is maybe where we can wrap up this discussion, is um, sort of what can we learn from this film, both broadly as human beings living in the 21st century, but also, you know, you talked about um, us watching this in the age of COVID-19, in the age of shelter in place, where it kind of feels like we're living the same day over mm -hmm. and over and over again. So, so... When I think about, so I want to ask you that question, but one of the things that I thought about um, that, I, that in part that he learns is the, the fact that he has to live that day over and over and over again. And part of learning is paying attention, you know, paying attention, not just seeing things entirely through his eyes, but, but it is learning about other people. And, and, and uh, so, so to me, that, that's my big takeaway in terms of, you know, what can we learn? What does he learn? Yeah, I think, yeah, exactly that. Just, just because things are, just because things look the same, just because you may be faced with some of the same circumstances doesn't mean that you always have to respond in the same way. Because what happens in the film is, yes, he's presented the same day, but notice how he keep, how he manages to change that day and change himself by his, by his differing responses. To almost to almost everybody he meets, you know, uh, going from uh, slugging Ned Ryerson in the face to buying the, all the insurance he can, you right. know, from from passing by the old man to actually going to the hospital to to pay his bill. So uh, so it's all kinds of ways in which we can respond differently, even when we're presented with the exact same circumstances. So uh, what what does this teach us about living in shelter in place, living the same day over and over? What's the advice that we can pull directly for this, if there is? Keep your keep your eyes open. Look for look for opportunities. Even if you just get out and take a walk, you may find you may you may see some something or somebody uh, somebody somebody different. And uh, and don't and I guess the other thing I would say too is maybe that we don't need this film to tell us that, but just don't take for granted um, the 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 opportunities you have or the good things you you have. Absolutely. Fantastic. Barrett, this was a great, um, when you first suggested this movie, I was like, well, I've seen Groundhog Day 
multiple times. I was like, I don't, I'm not sure where we're going to go with this, but I actually, I really, really, really enjoyed watching the film again and, uh, and having this conversation. So it's the time in the show when we're going to pivot to the week to come. Uh, what should we be watching? Yeah. Um, before, before we do that, Sam, I want to say one more thing about the afterlife of Groundhog Day. Oh, please um, do. Yes. Yeah, just one more uh, item. I, I did not watch the Super Bowl this year, so I didn't see any of the Super Bowl ads. So I did not realize that the Groundhog Day ad with Bill Murray, which is well worth watching, um, just goes to show how 27 years later the movie is still a cultural touchstone. Uh, it's a really, really funny uh, commercial you can just find by Googling. The other thing I'm going to say before I do next week's recommendation is you also got two good film recommendations as you and I were talking. Uh, I commend both Memento and Sliding Doors. Uh, to our listeners, uh, absolutely. So next week, I'm gonna I'm gonna dip into uh, the oeuvre of one of my uh, my favorite directors, one of those directors for whom I'm a completist, which is David Lynch. Um, but hold on, you know, I'm, I'm not going to recommend Mulholland Drive or uh, or all 18 hours of the reboot of uh, Twin Peaks. But I'm actually going to recommend a amazingly enough a film that Lynch made with the Disney Studio. Uh, in 1999, uh, it's a G-rated film, so you can gather the kids around as well. It's called The Straight Story, um, and it actually garnered Richard Farnsworth, who was in the lead, who played the lead role. It garnered him an Oscar nomination as Best Actor. He was the oldest actor at the time, nominated for an Academy Award. It's based on a true story of uh, 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 Richard Strait, who um, lives in Iowa and wants to visit his uh, sick brother who lives in Wisconsin, uh, played by Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, and his eyes are not good enough for him to drive a car, so he doesn't have a license. So he sets out on his John Deere lawnmower to, uh, drive, to drive the 240 miles from Iowa to Wisconsin. Um, and I think it's a, I think it's a, a, a great film, and I think we'll enjoy watching and talking about it. The Straight Story, David Lynch. Absolutely, this is one of my wife's favorite movies of all time. Oh, I, I, so I'm sure that my my wife and our kids. This might be our. We're watching a movie. We have family movie night tonight. It might be the straight story. We might just do that tonight because she'll be thrilled that that we're going to be watching this. Well, she's obviously a, a person of great discernment when it comes to film, Sam. You're you're, you're fortunate. That's right. Well, Barrett, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, we will talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Sam. Have a good one. Mm -hmm.